just before before we begin the chat, what do you think's going on with this Ron Paul debate? <laughs> it's really quite fascinating. I uh, did you see my last post? I did, I did. Uh, he 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 can be a little bit annoying <laughs> myself, you know. Like it's just so bizarre that on an anarchist forum that's also specifically atheist that they're rapidly defending uh, a Christian politician. I mean, it's really... Yeah, that's, that's completely bizarre to me. I mean, you know who's hanging out on this board, but you come here anyways to be drubbed constantly about why you're defending him. Right, right. No, it is, uh, <laughs> it is most strange. You there? Hello? Oh, I've lost a... Uh, never mind. I guess you're there now. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and I mean, I've put out, I don't know, at least half a dozen podcasts, either in the Sunday shows or specifically about Ron Paul. I thought I made a pretty good case with the KKK argument, but uh, nobody seems to be picking up on that. But <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was good, too. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's kind of, um, uh, it's kind of, uh, I, I get a sort of really a hard tension emotionally from the people who are for Ron Paul, and uh, it's 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 a kind of a weird thing. I mean, I, I sort of just try and, you know, feel the aura. I mean, I know that sounds kind of weird, but uh, just sort of feel the aura about the people who are posting, and there's a belligerence to it that just seems kind of strange. I mean, it's only strange because the context is clearly the family, but nobody's going to talk about it, right? And the problem is, like, the first time you bring it up, even gingerly, to say, you know, well, what are your feelings? Why, why is this such an important issue for you? And uh, if people brush that aside and continue on with their political arguments, it's very hard for them to backtrack, right? Because then they, you know, they kind of dig themselves into a hole, right? That they sort of keep going down this road. And then if, you know, if they were at some point to stop and say, oh, I guess it's family-related, they would really not look i mean there's a face saving thing that gets involved that's why it's very hard to take a stand yeah. when you don't know what you're talking about too much right especially if it turns out to be emotionally driven oh they do know what they're talking about i'm sorry i i think they do know what they're talking about what do you mean you have to know what you're talking about when 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 you're i mean <laughs> when it's all right there in front of you how can you not know Right? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, for example, uh, Charlie's post about the uh, the less aggression principle, which I thought, yeah. was, I thought was hilarious. I mean, they know that's what it is. They right. know that. I mean, I knew that. But right. you but 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 you just you pretend like it, it's not true, you know? Yeah, or not there, or you know, there's there's just seems to be a fair amount of obscurantism, like. You know, where you, people are just sort of talking past each other, and and uh, then guys, <laughs> you get the uh, oh yeah, well maybe you guys have uh, family issues, and, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, the Pee Wee Herman argument, it's, right? And it's like, great, you know, maybe maybe we do. I mean, maybe I do. Maybe maybe I don't know. My dad left me, and I don't like Ron Paul. I'm perfectly happy to discuss that. Somebody just has to ask the question, right? I mean, it's just that. Uh, it just seems like, uh, I don't know, I guess here's where you sort of find out where people are willing to abandon their principles, you know? It's like, and, and it's hard, you know? We, we make jokes about being dream crushers, or at least I do, but it's hard for people to, to give up on this solution. I think that there's a lot of mainstream stuff that they feel they're going to get booted out of, or, or, you know, if they're deep into the Mises world or the Lou Rockwell world, then they're going to have some tough fights on their hands, and it's, uh, you know, it's tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they they know it's true because they keep telling themselves it can't be. It can't be what? It can't be true. Everybody keeps saying this, but it can't be. It just can't be true because, you know, the whole world is like this, and this is what I believed for so long, so it can't be true. What can't be true? That, uh, that, that Ron Paul is, you know, supporting Ron Paul is an unprincipled position. Right, right. That, that, uh, that the, the, the whole point of politics is the use of force, is the, um, is, is the rationalization of violence. Right, and right, they're, and they're saying to themselves, "It can't be true." I mean, look at Ron Paul, right? Right, right. I do believe in God. I do, I do, I do believe in God. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's strange too. I mean, even just even from a pragmatic standpoint, though, right? I mean, they, uh, they, uh, they say, well, you know, okay, so he's not being able to cut any government spending in his, but he doesn't have control over that. It's like, do they think that the government, like the, the, the. Uh, do they think that the, the the president has this massive amount of control? I mean, it's not a pure dictatorship yet, right? I mean, right. With that gonna... whole argument, with that whole argument, they're basically conceding uh, the, the 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 very supports they were trying to use to defend Ron Paul. Yeah. Right, right. Like if you say for twenty years he's never been able to even slow down the growth of government, let's give him more power. I mean, that just it, it really is a, quite a quite an embedded fantasy. And, uh, I mean, because I think it is driven by, obviously, I mean, what the hell do we care about Ron Paul, right? I mean, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> issue, right? But, I mean, the people who dig into this degree, it's definitely a lot more personal. And because they're not talking about it, and, I mean, I'm, I don't think it's going to go the same way Niels did, but it's the same thing that happened with Niels, right? Where Niels took a stand and I said, well, maybe there's something more personal for you here and blah, blah, blah. But just that just intensified his stand, and that it just became name calling, and you know, like there's nothing you can do about that if people choose to go that road. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's just wild. I mean, to me, it's a it's a, a you know, it's a very strange thing, and there's a kind of hard, cold pragmatism to it, you know, and and there's this uh, you you can feel the mythology, you know, like pushing insistently against your reality processors, you know, like like come into the matrix where up is down, black is white, and Christian politicians who are given great powers can be very virtuous, you know, like it's like <laughs> you, you can feel the story, and the story then comes like, well, you guys are just negative, and 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 this, you know, all of these storytelling words start to come into the debate, which is where you know the debate doesn't have anything to do with Ron Paul anymore, right? You guys are just dreamers. You don't want to take pragmatic solutions. You know, this is the best thing we have. Words alone aren't going to change anything. And it's like, well, I hope you're having fun writing your fairy tale, but don't think I'm a character in it because it's got nothing to do with me, right? Oh, too funny. Funny. Anyway, right. listen, and, it, I, and, it, and it requires people participating in that fairy tale in order for it to manifest itself in any real way. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, if he wants to go and... Uh, uh, and I've tried to get out of the debate by just saying, you know, well, go vote for him. Let's find out. Right? Time will tell. It also, I think they're younger people too, right? So I was too young for Goldwater, but I've read some of his speeches where he was fiery 
pro-constitution and anti-state and anti-big government. And then, you know, Reagan came along with the same kind of story. And a lot of, you know, so people fell for Goldwater and right, bled off a lot of support from the libertarians. And then people fell for Reagan. They fell for Reagan again. And then, you know, Bush was <laughs> like, we're going to have a modest foreign policy and we're going to reduce taxes. And, you know, government is the problem, not the solution, blah, blah, blah. I mean, when you've been through this, it's like the first time you go through an environmental scare, you know, like, well, oh, global cooling, global warming, you feel like it's a big catastrophe. But after yeah, you pass around right. the clock a couple of times, it's like, yeah, okay, so this is another guy, and he seems like a nice guy. I mean, he seems like a genuine guy. I'm sure if I sat down and had dinner with him, we'd have a whole lot in common to talk about. But that doesn't mean I want to give the guy the key to nukes. I mean, that's a whole different situation, right? <laughs> and more than just the key to nukes, I mean, you're giving him uh, control over um, over you, you know? Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying, here, have power over me. Well, I like uh, you so much. Yeah. That's the, well, that's the take my wife. That's my the wife. same argument I use myself with some people. It, it doesn't seem to work. And when I say, "Who are you going to vote for?" Well, I'm going to vote for myself. I'd I'd rather you know <laughs> not give control of to other people over me. And that's 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 how I view voting is just voting for somebody else to govern me. It's like I, I want to govern myself. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, I could just go to some crazy guy in the park, give him a gun, and say, "What would you like me to do?" And that's sort of the same process. And I generally and no, nobody responded to my atheist in the in working within the system of the church or the the you know voting for the next mafia boss or something or or a mafia boss that's going to end uh, you know hitman contracts or something like that. No, no, again, when you put these sort of metaphors, the metaphors they can't respond to because they, they sort of work at an emotional level. And if people are heavily defended, they don't get the emotional metaphors. Like they just, they, they don't process them or they, they just reject them. And, and these, I mean, <laughs> these, these defenses in the people, they're not something that is just summoned out of Ron Paul popping up his head out of the political rabbit warren, right? I mean, these are old defenses because they're very adroit, right? I mean, they know exactly what to focus on, what not to focus on. I mean, these are long, deep and old defenses. So, yeah, I don't think there's there's much that can be done. I mean, if people don't respond to the argument that says, well, look, I mean, if I don't vote, I'm not imposing anyone's will on you. If you vote, you're imposing Ron Paul's will on all of us. But, and yes, we hope it's going to be good, but, I mean, that's sort of not the point. I'd rather not have that in, as a factor, right? So, And if people don't respond to, you know, you're supporting somebody who's going to impose his will on the rest of people through force, then... Well, then they say, of course, well, but he's going to eliminate people imposing, you know, rules on you by force and so on. It's like, but there's no proof of that. And power corrupts. We know that, right? I mean, there wasn't like, there was no good people in communist Russia who got to the top, right? Power corrupts. Even if he's a great guy going in, how long is it going to take before he just turns into, like, power has a force all of its own. I mean, it just messes everyone up. I would say that uh, they almost go hand in hand. I mean... Nobody who was uh, not interested in being corrupted would pursue that right. career. Right. I mean, I, I like what um, Lou said about it, that he's not running as president. He's running against the presidency as it stands. I thought that was, you know, it's a clever way of looking at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't mind. People want to go vote for him. I just, it just, you know, just be honest. I mean, that's all I care about, right? I mean, if you're gonna if you're going to be honest... You know, I, I wouldn't. I don't think prostitution is 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 evil, right? If somebody says, "Yeah, I'm going to go to a prostitute, and I know that she's been abused and this and that," that's fine. You know, it's just honesty, right? So if people say, "Yes, I think that the use of force can be beneficial in this area," 
Well, that's fine. Then go vote for Ron Paul and have fun. I just all I want is for people to be honest and just admit that they're using coercion. Right. And that's that's actually why I think he's he's um, more disingenuous than the the actual politicians are. Because in a lot of ways, they're doing exactly that. They're saying, "Hey, screw it. You know, we're better because we have the guns, so we're going to use them." Right, and by he, you I mean... hear that. I hear that all the time from people in the military. Right, we're the good guys. We have the biggest guns, and therefore we should use them. Right, you know, it's it's an admission of the fact that it's all about the violence. Right, and 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 there are several of the presidential candidates that are that are exactly that way. So, to me, they're the more honest ones. It's just that everybody's blinded themselves so well to the to the fact that violence is not a good thing, right? Right, right, right. And and uh, d- diminishing the violence, to the, you know, is is not the way to solve the problem. That's been argued for the last, you know, it's so funny, right? That that um, I think it was David, I think his name is, who was lecturing people on the history of uh, libertarianism and so on. And it's like, yeah, the the history of libertarianism has been compromised. The history of, I mean, political sort of activist libertarianism has been massive compromises. I mean, you have Murray Rothbard joining with the leftists uh, and the Black Panthers, and you have, uh, you know, libertarians now throwing in their weight behind Ron Paul. And, I mean, the the whole movement has just been a history of compromise after compromise after compromise. And things are like a thousand times worse than when the movement started. So, you know, pardon me for wanting to try something different, you know. I mean, I just like to work empirically, right? that That stuff clearly doesn't work, right? This sort of... Well, let's work within the system and let's compromise and let's find fellow travelers and so on. I mean, God, I would be so happy if that had worked. Then I wouldn't have to do all of this, right? It'd be great. I could go back and right. earn a living, right? It would be great. But it just hasn't worked, right? And, and, you know, just saying, well, okay, here's now someone who's new. Let's go join them and go stampeding over to this new statist. It's like, but it doesn't work. You know, just empirically, this thing's been going on. If you count classical liberalism for about 130, 140, 150 years, and the state has just inexorably gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'm, you know, I, I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just saying, look, I mean, empirically, it doesn't work. Right. The, 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 the method of practical compromise over uh, principal stance has been tried over and over and over and over again, and it just keeps getting worse. And the whole point is to get you to accept practical compromises in the first place, because the minute you accept one, you've immediately abandoned the principle. Oh, yeah, then it's just a matter of degree. And you've also legitimized the system, right, in a very sort of fundamental way, right? I mean, if, if you uh, say, well, okay, I'm only going to own one slave as an abolitionist, well, you know, <laughs> you've, I mean, you've now been totally neutralized, right, as, as a sort of vital... Uh, force uh, of ethics or, or intellect within society. Uh, you've just totally neutralized yourself. And it's just it's so weird to watch these libertarians going and inoculating themselves uh, from any sort of particular relevance or power or effect. Uh, you know, what's wrong with just, it's just, just looking for a little patience, right? Just just wait. You know, what if, what if we just stand by our principles? What if? You know, what if? We, there's there's every, uh, every fool in the world is willing to throw his principles uh, over, the, uh, over the railing. You know, what if? 
what if a group does it? Like, what if? You know, I mean, it's not like we're going to stand out if we're wrong. I mean, because everybody else is throwing the principles. But what if we just uh, don't? And see, like, clearly throwing them overboard doesn't work. And everybody's doing it anyway. So what harm is there if we don't? Right. Especially these principles. Right, right. If you just look at it from a purely pragmatic standpoint, you know, it's like, you know, uh, let's, let's just not do what the other people who are failing do. I mean, that's got to be a step. Right? That's got to be a step in the right direction. Those people who are failing really badly with their stated objections, let's at least not do that. And maybe we'll figure something else out to do. I think we've taken a pretty good stab at it. But at least let's not do that, because that definitely doesn't work. All right, so let's talk about, uh, if you don't mind, uh, this, this thing that, uh, this, this conversation where I think we were sort of turned into, at least I did, uh, misunderstanding and, and, and so on. And I just sort of wanted to... Um, to figure out the question, right? And the question was, if I understand it correctly, with timeouts with children, what, uh, you know, is it force? Uh, what level of force is acceptable? And how would you know? Is, is that sort of the, the idea? Yeah, that was our, 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 <laughs> our point, I guess. Okay, and what, uh, what criteria would you think would be a valid way to prove that? Like, how, how could that be proven to you? Well, I, I think we have to figure out what you mean by timeout. Well, a timeout is... is sorry, would, go ahead. I'd also... I mean, it... Uh, I wouldn't say... Uh, the, the use of force, I, I guess, in this case, is it, it's, it's a little more subtle... Uh, of a of a circumstance than say, you know, hitting somebody over the head and taking their ice cream cone, right? But still, it's the the point is the imposition of will, right? That you're that you're trying to get the child to conform to your will, as opposed to trying to get the child to conform to reality. That's really where my sticking point is. Okay, but uh, and this is where I think, I apologize again, this is where I think I got a bit irritated because I don't know where that came from. Like, uh, the for me at least, it was like, if, if a timeout is imposing your will on someone, then it's abusive, right? I mean, because just imposing your will on someone through force or threat of force or picking someone up, uh, to me that seems abusive. And I, I'm not sure where that came into the conversation. I don't think I brought that in, but if you could sort of let me no, or if you remember, you don't have to look it up, but if you can remember sort of where that might have come from. that would Well, well if we think about the about concept... Are you there? Uh, yes. Oh, well, we started at the same time. And then eerily, you stopped at the same time. <laughs> well, I just thought, you know, time out was that, was what you just said. Was what? I, I lost what you just said during that little. So uh, for you, timeout was the imposition of somebody's will through the force or the threat of force. Right. I thought that's what that was. Okay, but the timeout is a specific thing, and then the the, the rest of it is a story about timeout. Right. Those you've listened to the mythology series, so uh, uh, pardon me for you know I'll just be annoyingly precise here. But a timeout is a, sp a particular thing which we all know, where you say to a child. You know, please, uh, you know, this is what happened. Uh, you didn't listen to me. I gave you a warning. I need you to sit on the stairs for three minutes, uh, and then you can rejoin uh, your playmates or whatever, right? And then if the child 
uh, and this is usually not the case with any sort of decently brought up child, but if you are babysitting for some other kid and the kid just gets up and runs around and doesn't listen, then you have to pick the kid up and you have to put him back down. And you don't interact with the kid, right? You don't give them any positive reinforcement. You don't turn it into a game. You pick the kid up and you put the kid back on the stairs. And if the kid gets up again, you pick the kid up and you put him back on the stairs. That's, again, that, that's only if you're babysitting some monster child. I mean, if you have a good relationship with your own child, that doesn't happen. I mean, I never had to do that with my nieces, right? I mean, it's a little different when you're an uncle. But, um, but so the, the timeout is simply uh, if you say to a child, uh, you know, don't do X for, you know, some good reason, not just sort of arbitrarily. And then if you, you give a warning, and if the child then does X, you have to take them out of the situation so that they get a sense of, you know, consequences. And you do that to make the relationship more pleasant and, and better in the future, right? So that you don't have to keep running around with them and not being effective and so on. So that's sort of the nature of the timeout. I'm not sure where imposing your will through force, which seems like a fairly negative story about that procedure, where that came in. How how is that not though? I mean, let's say you say to the child, "I want you to sit on the stairs for three minutes," and he doesn't. Right? right. You have to pick the child up and put him on the stairs. You're much bigger than he is. If you said that to an adult and they refused, but children aren't adults. Right, and that's exactly the point. That's exactly my point. They're not adults, so it's it's convenient to say that it's not forced just because you don't have to actually uh, be threatened when you reach over and grab the child and pick him up and put him on the stairs yourself. You're not threatened because you're four times his size, right? So it's easy to call that not not force. Well, no, but we ha- we had this discussion, right? Which is if you if your child reaches for, you know, their fifth candy bar of the evening on Halloween, and you take the child's candy bar away, right? It's their property in a sense, right? They went and earned it through doing their trick-or-treating. If you take their property away, that's like saying that's theft. Um, I would think that is theft. I mean, if they... Why not let them eat it and get sick and then suffer the natural consequences of that? Well, because children, uh, because their brains are in an early stage of development, don't, um, like, can't process, like, genuinely, physically can't process long-term consequences. Right? They, they, they genuinely, physically, you can see this on an MRI, right? Like, when you ask a, an adult to figure out the long-term consequences, areas of their brain light up, you ask a child, and they just, like, all, all that lights up is, I want more candy, right? I mean, they really don't like physically are not able to, the same way you don't feed, feed a nice Angus steak to a newborn, right? I mean, their bodies can't handle it. Their brains just can't process long-term consequences. I mean, that, that's, that doesn't come in, at the final stage of that doesn't come until your mid-20s, right? I mean, the, in, even in your early 20s, your brain is still developing. So long-term, and teenagers are notorious for this, and it's all the more obvious because they have more mobility and freedom and some money, but... I mean, the idea of letting kids simply learn for their own through negative consequences is, I mean, maybe there's new stuff since I last looked at this kind of stuff, but it just doesn't work. I see. So it's like they don't know, they won't associate candy with sick. Well, they might, but then the next time they get candy, 
right? Their, their medulla, their base brain is going to just take over and say, I want candy, right? And they won't even remember the last time. I mean, this is you know, remembering cause and effect and consequence over a couple of days or weeks or months is not, uh, I mean, adults have trouble with this sometimes too, right? But, but kids, uh, you know, much more around immediate gratification, non-deferral of gratification, which biologically makes sense, right? You don't want to be the, the kid who's given everyone else your, your, your food because you feel bad that they may be hungry or whatever. I mean, you've got to be greedy and selfish to some degree when you're a kid. I think that's just sort of biologically ingrained because usually it wasn't enough food to go around for everyone and the really nice kids didn't <laughs> usually make it, right? But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, in, in an ideal world, sure, you, you would, uh, you know, you could do that. And, but there will be situations where you can't do that, right? I mean, if your kid, uh, is having trouble understanding that fire will cause them a third degree burn, right? Uh, then you have to intervene, right? Because you can't sort of let your kid, uh, you know, crawl all over the lit oven and say, well, he'll learn, right? I mean, or, or, you know, if you say to a kid who's like three years old, don't go near the swimming pool, or, I mean, this is silly. I mean, you, you wouldn't let your kid near the swimming pool, but you, you sort of understand, like, they can't, uh, I mean, they fall in and drown. It's not like, well, they'll learn in their next life, right? So. Right. And there's, there's a difference, though, between uh, putting your child in mortal danger and letting him get sick from chocolate. Absolutely, and there's no question of that. I mean, I'm, I'm using extreme examples not to say that you guys think that children should learn by getting their limbs amputated. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to, I'm just sort of like talking about a more extreme example, but, but the basic thing is that kids, when they're young, won't recall. I don't know if you remember this. I remember this as a kid. Like, I never wanted to brush my teeth, right? It was boring, uh, and who cared, and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I was like, I don't know, six or seven years old, that I finally got they were my teeth and, and you know, like like bad things were going to happen to me if I didn't uh, brush my teeth. I mean, it took it took a while to, to sort of get the hang of that. Otherwise, it was, I mean, it obviously wasn't raised that well, but uh, it just, it, it's not something that clicks in right away for kids. So then we can't really say that UPB applies to them because they don't have the cognitive facilities really to... Um, uh, fully apprehended, and therefore, um, uh, judicious uses of force, uh, for example, um, making your kid brush his teeth, uh, is acceptable. Well, again, I, I maybe maybe this could be my discomfort with the term, uh, but it, it, if it's not theft to take a candy bar away from a kid who's already had three candy bars and has. I don't know, high blood sugar to begin with, whatever, forget the high blood sugar. If it's not theft to take that away, then I'm not sure that it's correct to say that judicious use of theft, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, the, <laughs> you know, it's like saying a wise use of evil, which we're back to the Ron Paul thing, but, but I, I, you know. Okay, so since, so what you're saying then is since they fall outside of UPB, we can't even really call it force. Well, I don't know that they, I mean, I, I don't think that they fall outside of, UPB insofar as UPB for kids, right? Like it's universally preferable that kids eat a balanced meal and don't slug their playmates and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? But it's also universally preferable or, you know, that their parents are going to play an active part because the kids aren't going to be able to figure everything out uh, on their own. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You eat a balanced meal is, is a universally preferable behavior? Well, yeah, in the nutrition sense, wouldn't it be? Cause... No, I'm, I mean in the actual sense. 
the, the only universally preferable behavior that uh, that I'm familiar with, anyways, is uh, the, the proscription against force and fraud and theft, right? Well, sure, but I mean, when you have children, and, and we know this is the whole question of positive obligations with regards to children, right? If you have children and you don't feed them, that's murder, right? Although we are not obligated to feed everyone in the world, right? If you have children, like if you have a pet and you put it in the basement and you don't feed it and it dies, that's being a jerk, right? You Once you have a pet, you have a positive obligation to either give that pet up right. or feed it. Right, but, 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 a dog, but a dog, again, does not qualify for for protection under UPB because he's not a rational being. Well, no, I mean, I was just using, I mean, I'm not saying that that person would then go to jail, but I certainly think that it could be a, taken <laughs> rather dimly for you to keep buying dogs and starving them to death. If you have a baby and you don't feed the baby and you don't give up the baby, then you killed the baby. Correct. Right? So... Uh, in the same way that there's no positive obligations for strangers, but if you have a baby and you don't, then you have a positive obligation when you have a baby, right? If you have a baby, then you have to feed it or you have to give it up, right? Otherwise, you're just killing it because it can't feed itself, right? Similar children uh, uh, can't get their own nutritionally balanced meals for two reasons. Right? They don't have jobs and also they don't have enough nutrition information or the ability to process long-term consequences. So parents have a, that's why I meant sort of by UPB, like, I mean, you can't just have a kid and feed it nothing but candy bars because it's going to get sick and die, right? So, so just so I'm clear on this, um, the the positive obligation comes out of the fact that you produce the life. You choose to produce produce the life, correct? Yeah, and you don't have a positive obligation to feed the kid, but if you don't feed the kid, you have to give it to someone who will. Right? You have to find someone who will and whatever, right? Right, that the actual positive obligation is to the well-being of the life. Right, and not, you can transfer that to not, someone not else to... if you don't want to take care of it and so on. But that's, sorry, and, and sorry, I know I jumped like 12 steps there, but uh, that's sort of what I meant by the UPB is, like if you don't <laughs> give your kid a nutritious meal, uh, or nutritious meals, then the kid's going to get sick. And, you know, that's kind of like injecting right. someone with the poison, so, right? Because they can't fend for themselves. And so, so stopping... Oh, so stopping the kid from eating the candy by putting him over on the stairs for three minutes is, or taking the candy away, or or stopping him from hitting somebody by restraining him and putting him on the stairs, that's a positive obligation for the parent. Well, I think we, we just conflated six examples, and it just blew my mind, so I <laughs> follow all of those. Uh, two t- but, I mean, there there are certain instances, and this is sort of the gray area stuff, right? So if your neighbor is drinking really heavily and uh, uh, is uh, screaming that he wants to kill his wife and you've borrowed his gun, right, and he comes over and says, give me the gun, right, you're not going to give it to him, right? Even though it's his property and you should return. Like, there are gray areas here in, in certain situations where property bows to just protecting someone from getting shot, right? So, um, and, you know, with generally with the idea that, I mean, one of the tests, and it's not an objective test, but I think it's not a bad conceptual test, you know, is the person going to thank you later, right? Like, I mean, if you're, when your neighbor sobers up, is he going to say, gee, I wish I'd been able to shoot my wife last night? He's probably going to say, man, I'm really glad you didn't give me that gun. I would be in a whole heap of trouble right now. 
and then you say I'm moving, right? So, or whatever, right? So, so there are situations <laughs> yeah. where you know the, the the sort of absolute property right. I mean, that's so rare as to who cares, right? And I know libertarians get all knotted up about this, and I don't mean by that I don't mean you guys, but uh, but there are certain situations wherein that uh, that can occur. And so similarly, I you know there are times where you you need know, to grab your kid and yank them. Uh, you know, if your kid gets their I don't know legs stuck in a bear trap, I mean, <laughs> maybe you got to saw it off to save them. I don't know, right? I mean, I'm just saying that there are uh, situations that are going to be extreme for sure, but I definitely would say that um, uh, it's not theft to take a candy bar away from a kid who's been eating too many, and it's not force to uh, pick up a child and put him back uh, in, in, in on the stairs if he's been hitting his, um, you know, his... Uh, playmate or something with a shovel right but I think that uh, the, these um, lifeboat examples of uh, lesser of two evil uh, which which property would you rather sacrifice right? your your life or your or your material goods um, uh, I, I'm I'm not quite sure how that applies to this situation of the of the timeout I can't remember either about but halfway through that I'm like where did this come from did it come from you Nate Was... <laughs> no I, I didn't I don't remember anything about the lifeboat situation what, what are you talking okay, about okay well never mind then it probably was just a tangent of mine they've been known to happen <laughs> well what what I'm What I'm tr- trying to understand is if it's not forced to do that to a child, to um, essentially use intimidation to uh, require him to stay in a certain place for a certain length of time. Well, no, no, no. Sorry, so, i got to interrupt you there, and, and I don't know if you've ever done the timeout thing with a kid. It's not intimidation. It's not intimidation. It's authority. And, and the two are not even related in my book, right? I mean, if you have authority with a child, then you don't need to intimidate the kid, right? You don't you don't you don't grab the kid and squeeze their arms until and then shake them gently and glare at them with, you know, flecks of foam coming off you. I'm not saying right? but I'm not saying you're suggesting that, but it's not intimidation. Right? It's not intimidation. It's actually quite quite gentle and it's simply um it's just authority, right? It's like, well, uh, I gave you the warning. You didn't listen to the warning. Now I'd like you to sit on the stairs. And if the kid then gets up, and you have to pick the kid up and put them back on the stair. It's you're not intimidating the kid. It's just consequence. So, so it's like having uh, the authority of earned credibility and respect and stuff like that. Right. And 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 the reason that that you put the kid on the like the reason that you pick the kid up if the kid runs away and you put him back on the stairs is so that you don't have to keep doing that. Why? Why does he stay? Why does he stay? Because you have authority, right? Because you prove yourself over time to be a wise and gentle uh, person who is concerned <laughs> with the child's benefit or welfare, right? So the kid learns to trust you. That you don't act arbitrarily. That you're you're not ego gratified by bullying a five year old or a four year old or anything like that. You just you gain authority by being consistent by being reasonable by being firm uh, and that way i mean kids statistically do a lot better when there are rules that are enforced 
that are, um, I mean, not intimidated or anything like that, but just, just rules, you know, like uh, uh, you don't hit people with the shovel and, uh, you know, and, and the reason that you pick the kid up, and so you don't have to keep doing that, right? So then the next time you say, I don't want you to do X, right, then the kid will remember that when he went to the stairs for half the afternoon, or it never is like that, but they will, and then you don't have to even do that, right? This is something which is supposed to be self-eliminating, right? I mean, you you are consistent with the um, stairs thing uh, or the timeout so that you don't have to do the timeout, right? So that the kid just knows that the warning leads to the timeout. And so when you give the warning, the kid changes the behavior and you don't have to go to the timeout. Right. Uh, so in other words, uh, he, he learns uh, uh, if I do X, then I'll, I'll get in trouble. Well, no, because you don't, I mean, yes, of course, but I mean, you don't sort of say, I need you to stop doing this, otherwise you're going to get in trouble. I mean, that's bad parenting, right? It shouldn't be like, don't, don't hit your sister because otherwise I'll put you on the stairs. I mean, that's just not causal at all for a kid. That's just it's bullying, right? I mean, that's, that, and maybe that's what you're conflating, right? But that, they, um, that, that's um, it. He's right. That's exactly what happens. Come on, Greg. I should get it started. I'm just warming up. (laughs) You can't cut me off like this. Oh, now I have to have a cigarette. Anyway, go on. No, no, no. I I was done. I was just saying, yeah, that's what we were thinking it was. Oh, so don't do it. Otherwise, I'm going to put you on the stairs. Yeah, it's it's not just what I was thinking. It's what I know. I've seen that. That happens all the time. That's exactly how it's used. You do that one more time, I'm sending you to your bedroom. Right. Right. That's what happens. And if the kid uh, um, refuses or um, uh, rebels or, or uh, is uh, um, um, yeah, uh, contrary in any way, back the, then, to me. then the... Right, yeah, exactly. Then the intimidation comes out and the kid goes to his bedroom. And stays there. Why? Because of the threat of force. Sure, I totally understand that. But but what does that have to do with me? Well, I, I just I, it it doesn't. I mean, do you think that's what doesn't... I was suggesting? Yes, uh, we we thought that's what you were suggesting. No, you didn't. No, really, you didn't think I thought it was great to bully kids. No, 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 no. no. Well, we we didn't. That's why we were. I mean, that's why we were surprised by the fact that you were saying that because that's what we thought you were saying. So you thought that I would be uh, parents like your scary, horrible (laughs) siblings or the people that you've seen, right? No, like I I don't understand how you can use timeout without saying to the kid, "Don't do this, or I'm going to put you in timeout." Well, but you explain to the kid, right? You say, don't do this because it's wrong because of X, Y, and Z, right? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt someone else, uh, blah, 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 whatever, right? You don't like it when you're hurt. Well, then it would, it's, not, it's not any nicer for anyone else. It's how you teach kids empathy, right? To get them to understand that other people have feelings just like they do, right? And then you say, do you, you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? And you assume that they nod and say, do you agree that you're not going to do this? And if they say no, then you just keep explaining it until they fall asleep. 
But I mean, if if, right, <laughs> if they say yes, I understand it, and I'm not going to do it, right? Then they're not going to the stairs. They're not being put in a timeout because you just want to intimidate. Like they've already agreed. I mean, you can start this contractual stuff with kids very early. They've already agreed that they're not going to do it, and they already understand that the consequences of them doing it is going to uh, the timeout. But you don't just say, it, "Hey, if so you do that one more time, I'm going to throw you on the stairs, and you know you're going to sit on you." I mean, that's not. And that's just bullying, right? And and so if they ref, if they refuse to agree, then they've essentially waived their um, they they waived their right to uh, um, uh, well, if you sorry, if you're gonna like if if I'm gonna go, I'm a, I'm a little kid, right? So if I'm gonna go and play with someone and I hit them with a shovel, right? Then my dad is gonna come and say, um, you know, it's it's not good to hit someone with a shovel, right? You don't like it when you get hit with a shovel. This person doesn't like it when they get hit with a shovel. So if you're going to play with them, you can't hit them with a shovel, right? Do you understand? And, you know, I mean, if this is a verbal state or you don't put toddlers or you don't put sort of babies in a timeout, right? Because they, I mean, they just, they're just themselves, right? What do they care? But, uh, you know, they have to nod and they have to say, yes, I understand that I'm not going to hit this person. And that they get the condition of me playing with my friend is that I don't hit them with the shovel. And you say, if you hit them with the shovel, I'm going to have to take you out. I have to put you on the stairs, right? Because I can't have you hitting someone with a shovel. That's not nice. It's not right. Right? And they have to agree to that. And if they don't agree to that, then you say, okay, well, I can't have you playing with this kid. Right? Because if you're telling me you're going to go in there and hit somebody with a shovel, then I can't have you play because i got to protect this other kid. Right? Oh. That works. Okay. So it, you're not enforcing you're, you're enforcing their rules, the rules that they've agreed to, not your rules. Well, they're mutual rules. They're, they're, your, they're yours and his. Well, they're be, right. Huh? They're universally preferable behavior, right? Because you say to the kid, <laughs> that's how you get kids to understand. This is the empathy thing, right? You don't like it when someone hits you, right? And the kid's going to say no, right? So. So then hitting you is wrong. Yes. Well, then you hitting someone else. Like, that's UPB, right? It's, this, it's It goes both ways, right? Which is not a phrase. Well, well, at that point, it's it, at that point it's only contractually preferable. But uh... well, no. But but you don't say uh, you don't put it in a contractual thing, right? You say you don't like it when a kid hits you, and so it's. I mean, it's so it's wrong for a kid to hit you. Uh, you would prefer that the kid not hit you, while the other kid would also prefer that you not hit them. Right, because you're both kids, right? You both have the same sort of preferences, and um, they'll get that. I mean, they understand that. Right? That if they don't like it, then you know, and they'll grudgingly, okay, well, he started it, you know, and you have those debates, right? But sure, it really is around uh, kids. Kids that get get that reciprocity thing very, very easily. I mean, kids who don't share, like within the age of three or four, those kids are bad news in the playground, and the other kids aren't uh, aren't, as, aren't as positive towards them because they kind of get that, right? So. I think that, that UPB, I mean, I, I believe, and you know, find this out in time perhaps, but I believe that UPB is just is hardwired. I, mean, <laughs> I think it's like the core, and I think that's why it takes so much propaganda to, to get us to not see it in society. Well, the, if that's the case, then um, it, it really shouldn't matter um, how cognitively developed they are. Um, I mean, once they're capable of speech, 
they should be capable of UPB. Well, sure, at the very basic level. as well. And that, But that doesn't take into account long-term consequence processing of the kind with the candy bars and so on. But, yeah, at the very basic level, they kind of going to get that. And you see that in kids, right? I mean, you come across two, three-year-olds who are crying, and, you know, if they've got the power of speech and pointing, they're both going to point at each other and say, he started it, right? And why are they <laughs> going to do that? Because they know that self-defense is viable. And that the initiation of aggression is wrong. And they don't just know that because they get in trouble, right? And they know that just kind of deep down. I mean, if I think it's, um, uh, who is it? It's a, plea, it's a plea for protection. Yeah, I mean, Noam Chomsky said this about his grandkids, you know. It's like, if they're not pointing at each other and saying, he started it, then they're, they're not human beings, right? <laughs> like, they're some other species. <laughs> exactly. So they get that UPB thing, right? They get that self-defense is more morally justified than in the initiation of aggression. And so the moment the kids are using UPB as a defense, right, as, as, then they get it. Right? And then you can contractually, I mean, contract with them in a sense, although it's just basically trying to get them to understand that what's preferable to them is also preferable to others. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they get that very, very young. All right, well, that that makes sense, but I, I would still say that uh, you're not really in the, the in a in a parent-child situation. You, you're not really in anything like an analog of adult situations at all. You can't really. Well, even in an adult situation, it, this would apply. The instead of a timeout, you know, the 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 guy who's. Uh, harassing the patrons in a bar, you know, gets kicked out of the bar. By the, we may not even have to the, go that far not. for the metaphor, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's quite right. That's quite, and, and of course, with adults, though, you have the breakup, right? I mean, that's the timeout, right? I mean, you break up with somebody if they don't uh, do uh, things that are pleasing to you in whatever form, and we hope that that's just, but even if it's not, right? right? So if, if your girlfriend doesn't do the things that make you happy and uh, it causes you unhappy. Well, then you break up with her, right? But but you don't have the choice to break up with your kids, right? You don't have the choice. Right. Plus, plus. Well, plus you've got the obligation of well-being there. Well, that yeah, and that's what I mean. So I mean, uh, clearly, even if you feed your kids good meals, but don't teach them any conceivable boundaries and let them do whatever the heck they want it whenever they want it, then they're going to grow up without any empathy. They're going to be unable to form decent relationships. Uh, they're going to just be a mess, right? And and that's kind of cruel. I mean, I don't know what you do about that in a free society, but that's, to me, almost as bad as just starving them. Well, it's emotional starvation. Yeah, it is. It is, for sure. And uh, that kind of stuff is really, really hard to unwire in people. All right. So, so I mean, in in that sense, though, that then... The, the the child is in a, a state of. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you say that last part? Quasi. The child's in a state of quasi ownership, really. You mean by the parent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know whether I'd say ownership, but certainly responsibility, uh, for sure. I mean, I guess you could say to some degree that the child is your property, um, in the same way that a pet is your property. I mean, to take a very loose analog, but. Uh, but for sure, the, the parent is responsible for for the child, right? I mean, in a way that single, footloose vagabonds aren't responsible for anyone. But yeah, if you have a kid, then you're 
you're sort of bound up in, in that responsibility thing. Right, that positive obligation is the one thing that distinguishes it from property. And without that positive obligation, then the child would genuinely be just property. There'd be no, no other way to make the distinction. Right, I mean, you can buy a car and you don't ever have to give it an oil change, right? But if you rent a car, right. you can't just go and smash it up, right? <laughs> then you have to pay for it. You can smash up a car and not pay for anything, right? Just have it drag off somewhere or have it sit on your lawn if you live in, I don't know, Arkansas. But um, Right, because you have no obligation to the car. I mean, it's entirely yours. Right, but I mean, in a sense, children are more rented than they are owned, in a sense, because, I mean, when you rent a car, you, are, you can't just smash it up and say, ah, I'm going to leave it on my lawn, right? They'll come looking for it at some point, because... I mean, so, you know, that you, you, re-rent, you borrow your children from the future, that kind of stuff. But they're kind of passing through, right? They're not your final property, right? You are their guardian, and you are their nurturer, and you are their coach and their trainer. But you are passing them on right, to the future, right? You're sort of renting them from the future, in a sense. So you don't have final ownership over them. Uh, you have a custodianship of them, maybe a better, a better way. Like, you have, yeah, you have kids the way that somebody has a trust fund before someone else matures, like you have custodianship over it and you have to treat it well and that's sort of part of the responsibility of the deal. So then, uh, that being the case, then, uh, I mean, that the, the fundamental problem with that is that there's no, there's no authority to whom the parent has to answer Nobody. for his responsibility. You mean in the current world right. or in the the perfect world or in, in a totally free society? There's there's no authority to whom the parent answers for this positive obligation. Oh, I'm I for creating disagree. life. I completely disagree. I think that no DRO on the planet would let a parent get away with maltreating a child. I mean, I wrote an article on this some time back, but. I mean, DROs, I mean, they're long-term concerns, right? It takes a lot of money to set up a DRO. They're long-term concerns. They don't want crazy-ass, psychotic hooligans going around setting fire to people's cats and torching the local neighborhood, right? They can't have child abuse. Child abuse is really expensive and is one of the most expensive things in society, if not the most expensive thing in society. So, Right, and people are going to want to insure their children. Sorry? And people are going to want to insure their children through a DRO. Yeah, and I mean, if you uh, if you if you really mess up your kid, uh, I bet you the DROs are going to do everything that they can to get. I mean, they'll they'll pay you fifty thousand dollars to take the kid off your hands because they know that it's going to be more expensive than that. I mean, I know that they do limits so people don't put up babies and maltreat them for money or whatever, but. Uh, it's you know uh, at the moment parents aren't uh, aren't economically responsible for the damage that their children cause. I mean, in a sort of fundamental sense. I mean, in the way that Iraq gets destroyed because people were bad to their kids, right? That kind of stuff. But that's a very good point. Right. So I mean, there's economically. I mean, e- even aside from the emotional trauma, but emotional trauma where you're dysfunction, where you have dysfunction, it affects your earning. It affects the stability for relationships. It means that you're more likely to be a single dad, which means that you have more problems with stability. Those kids usually, well, not usually, will more uh, more often than, than more stable kids turn out to be expensive troublemakers for society. So, I mean, DROs are going to be all over parenting and always, always trying to get the parenting to up to its highest conceivable standards from an economic efficiency standpoint. Uh, and, of course, there'll be all these charities who will do, you know, whatever they can to help 
help people. And, of course, if you want to get a good DRO insurance for what your kids do, right? I mean, if your kids just go out and torch someone's house, then you've got to pay for the whole damn thing, right? So if you want to get good insurance from your DRO for what your kid does, then the DRO is probably going to want to make sure that you take some basic parenting classes, right? Right now, you don't have to. You could just be some crack crazed lunatic and go and have five kids. Well, that and the, that and the parents going to be motivated to uh, to want the best technique in order to avoid the the higher cost of uh, poor parenting technique, right? Because you would you would incur a higher cost in your either in your premium or you know in in um, uh, uh, coverage payouts or whatever. Um, for being a bad parent. Right, right. And, so. and just think how much more expensive your school is going to be if your kid is poorly behaved. Right, because the, the, you're going to have to put the kid into a school that can tolerate or has uh, means by which they can deal with more troubled kids. Right, and that's, and that's going to be more expensive. More facilities, sure. you know, uh, more... Uh, more teachers per students, that kind of stuff. I mean, there are serious economically negative effects to be bad parenting. It's just that right now, right, nobody pays for really, the taxpayers to, right? I mean, what about jail? Right? Surely uh, jail should be partially paid for by the parents. I mean, they raised this lunatic, right? So um, when you think about the scale, I mean, just the implications of all this stuff, this... The, the scale of the economic destru- destruction going on right now at this moment it just boggles the mind. Right. And uh, I just thought of something else. You you could have in the contract like that they sign for the insurance for the the kid that if if you know if they're doing anything to cause mal health to the kid you know that they can take the kid and, and give it a better home. Or something like that, or, or that they can... Well, sure, you, would, you wouldn't... Uh, you would. I, if I were the DRO, uh, I would have clauses in there which would revoke your custodianship of the child, right? If you wanted insurance for me, and it would be, you know, I would obviously go over this in great detail, and it would apply to very, very few parents. But it's like, you know, if you are consistently passed out in a heroin coma, I'm taking the kid, right? Because DROs know exactly what's going to happen to that kid. Right, they're going to go. They're going to cause property damage. They're going to cause uh, crime. They're going to, you know, I mean, that's the most likely. I mean, every now and then you get these superhuman kids who can survive anything, but uh, you know, statistically, uh, it's very clear. I mean, this is just cold economic calculation. There'd be lots of people who would do it for you know more humane motives and you know more power to them. I think that's great, but there's a timeout for the parent. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I mean, if you want insurance for your kids, then yeah, you're going to have to prove that you're, you know, a decent parent. And if if you're really, really wretched, uh, and it's, you know, you'd have to have this proven. It would have to be, you know, all the checks and balances, right? But it's not like DROs would have a big incentive to want to take kids on and, and try and find good homes for them or anything, right? So, uh, you know, there would be lots of checks and balances for this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the horrible thing right now is because of the government. Uh, people raise kids almost completely in isolation. It's not a communal effort. Other people don't get involved. There's no positive incentives for becoming better parents. There, I mean, it's, you, you see the household. They just watch Super Nanny a couple of weeks. You see these, and these aren't crack addicts or anything. I mean, these are people with jobs and you know pay their taxes. And their homes are better. Yeah. Most of them, most of them are upper middle class. Right, right. And and these kids are like deranged and they're just heading for disaster. And, you know, some British nanny has to be flown in with cameras, right? Wouldn't it be nicer if 
there was a more proactive uh, sort of umbrella. And, of course, this comes from a very personal place for me, right? It sort of floated through society, you know, going under repeatedly. And there was nobody had any incentive. In fact, there were negative incentives to uh, to get involved. But what we need to do is have a system where people have really positive incentives to get involved with making sure that kids are brought up as well as humanly possible. And the only way that I can think of is to get rid of the state, which absorbs all the costs and put the economic incentives in the hands of the parents and the people who protect the children. Right, all the responsibility. Hey, hey, what was that about um, um, good people work and, and pay their taxes? What was that? Well, you know, <laughs> what, I, what I mean is that they're not like, uh, I don't consider people who pay their taxes evil. They're in a state of nature, right? I mean, any more than a chimpanzee is evil when it takes your watch, right? I mean, they're just in a state of nature because they don't know yet, right? I mean, that's why I'm trying to get this conversation out. What I meant is that they're not people in a coma haze, like of, of drugs and, you know, alcohol. And they're not like extras from the the train spotting movie or anything. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Good yeah, point. Right. That's sort of what I meant. And people uh, who don't and people who don't pay their taxes have a death wish. Right, right. Right. Or, right. or they just want to go totally Kaczynski on everyone and just go live off the grid or whatever, which is fine too, but not well, my, not my have, a, have a look at the news articles about uh, Ed Brown. Oh, is he the guy who got shot? No, um... A uh, guy in uh, uh, New Hampshire, of all places, um, a dentist and his wife uh, haven't. They've been uh, actively resisting paying taxes for the last ten years, I guess. And uh, the the feds just went after him in February, and uh, I guess the ruling came down in April. And uh, they're just they're basically just waiting the guy out now. The, you know, they've got him surrounded with. You know, SWAT teams and whatnot, but uh, they're just waiting him out. Once he runs runs out of food and water, he's got to come out sometime, right? So <laughs> right, once, right. Once he does, they're going to take him into custody and auction off all of his property and all that. So. That's interesting. That's actually kind of a a restrained approach to it, right? I mean, normally they just go in guns blazing, but that's more of a DRO approach. Good for them. I mean, from that standpoint, at least they're not gunning the guy down, right? So. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the idea that you could just, like, win against the government is, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, you might as well just throw yourself off a cliff and hope that a couple of passing pigeons uh, catch you. Yeah, it's really kind of tragic because the guy, I mean, he's re- released a few videos and such, and, and his attitude is totally like, oh, I know I'm going to die, but I'm doing the right thing, right? I love those people because don't they make our job so much easier? Oh, yeah, I know someone else yeah, yeah, who's yeah. really opposed to taxes. You must be like them. Yeah, absolutely. And then you put me next to Ted Kaczynski, and we make the unholy trinity. It's beautiful. But they are. Uh, but but a guy like uh, Ed Brown is a a perfect example to point to when you bring up the gun in the room, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, I'm glad he's he's made his life's purpose to be the example of the gun in the room. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just to be... It, the problem is that the, the guys like that just seem deranged and so it's like yes oh. there's a gun in the room in the same way that there are restraints in the mental ward right so people don't make that connection too well yeah and, and brown is pretty screwed up he's got all kinds of weird uh, fantasy theories i'm surprised he hasn't written a manifesto of his own yet <laughs> right right maybe he has just doesn't <laughs> maybe they cut off his internet right <laughs> All right. Well, listen, does that help? I'm really sorry that uh, we got off on the wrong foot on that debate. Um, 
I was uh, coming from a very different angle. And I think I got, the reason I got annoyed, and I do apologize for that because I should be more upfront about that, uh, was that I really felt that there was family stuff creeping in that I couldn't quite identify because I know you guys don't have kids, right? And that's why I was sort of asking, and I didn't think about, uh, like for you, Greg, I didn't think about your brothers, which of course is brain dead of me because it's not like I didn't know they exist. They didn't, I knew that they had kids. But uh, that's why I was sort of asking you because I knew there was family stuff coming in here somewhere that was eclipsing where I was coming from. And I, you know, let me know if you think that's an unjust characterization, but that's sort of what I felt was going on. And that's why I was sort of trying to reach back into maybe where you were with your own parents or something like that, or if you were having uh, feelings about your own quote, discipline, which was really just the thuggery that you describe. But uh, that's sort of where I got annoyed, because I felt like I was getting all this family stuff put on me, but I didn't think about the um, uh, the siblings. Right. Well, I think where the, the family issues came in was that the only kind of, or timeout or consequences that are imposed by the parents, the negative thing, is all we knew from our history. I mean, that the only thing we knew is do this or this. Right, right. But, I mean, that's, I mean, to be annoying, again, right? <laughs> I do apologize for being annoying. Like, I totally understand that, but that's not me. Right. I, I, I guess, I guess from, a, from an uh, objective standpoint, though, I still don't... <sighs> I mean, we, we can... You know, we can put as many um, ribbons on it as we want, but the bottom line is your you're essentially imposing yourself upon the child. I mean, uh, well, in the same sense that you would, and I, I can see what he means now that you would reason with him. Don't do this; you're hurting the other kid. And gain a and you're protecting the other kid by removing the child from that situation and putting him in a timeout. So it's a it's a self it's not a self it's defense thing. It's proxy, a, like in the same way that we can intervene if some woman's getting beaten up in a bar. You know, we 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 don't have to get hit ourselves in order to intervene in a situation of self defense, right? So removing a child physically from a violent situation uh, where where that child is being violent to another child is the same as intervening when somebody is is. Uh, uh, attacking a woman and who can't defend herself because he's three times her size or whatever, even if they're the same size. To right, or if if the, if the if the child was running out into the street and all that. Right, yeah. right. So um, it's it's self defense by proxy, and there's also self defense of the child's future. Right, this is the old "don't eat candy till your teeth rot." Right, uh, that's self defense of the child's future because the, the child can't defend his own future because he can't understand consequences yet. So that's. Uh, uh, that that's sort of the difference. And for kids who are born, you know, mentally retarded or whatever, that that may never end, right? They may never get that that particular. That's an interesting way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way. Self right, defense, self defense of his future. Well, and his future, and then the other way, empathy and ability to relate, and all of those good things, right? Right, and you have babies, kids under three, you can't have certain toys that are too small or they'll, or they'll eat them. So you have to take those toys away from them to keep them from eating the toy or swallowing it and choking. Right, I mean, well, you well, have those bars at the top of the stairs, that's not the same as putting them in prison, right? I was mostly dealing with uh, 
uh, I was thinking of kids old enough to have a a, a verbal interchange with, right? Right. So, so that would be kids over the age of three at least, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and three may be premature for some kids, but for sure, it is uh, it is that sort of aspect that you. It really is self defense for me, at least. It's sort of self defense by proxy. Um, if the kid was able to process the consequences of his actions, then you wouldn't be the parent, right? I mean, you wouldn't need to be the parent because then they're an adult and they can go and do their thing in the world and you're no longer morally <laughs> responsible for them, right? But as long as they can't uh, either fend for themselves, uh, their brains or bodies have not developed, they can't fully process the consequences of their own actions and they need to be taught things. I mean, I think that you... I have a theory and, I, you know, if I have kids, this may be, <laughs> may be proven right, it may be proven wrong. I think that if you're empathetic towards the child... The child would just learn empathy normally, uh, in the sort of natural way, and uh, I don't think that you. Like, I don't think. I don't think. Again, there may, we may put this <laughs> this podcast if you like, and I may totally eat my words. I can't imagine that a kid of mine is going to belt another kid repeatedly because you know I think that there's particular things that have to happen to that kid where that seems like a good idea, and I don't think I'll be doing those things to my kid. Right, so. Uh, that's the theory, right. and again, I could be, you know, I, I may be wrong, but uh, that's... That that was my theory, too, because I was wondering, well, why is the kid belting another kid in the first place? What have you done to cause that to happen, or, or is, is, is the parent doing something wrong in the first place, like over a period of time, maybe long before, starting way back, now he's starting to hit other kids because, well, obviously something's being done wrong. No, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, the kid has learned that that is a good way to solve problems is through the use of violence and intimidation. And, of course, that's not something that we're born with. That's something that we learn through the actions of our parents. So, yeah, no, you're right. You know, it, well, I mean, the human being is capable of both. For sure, for sure. Right. And that's the amazing thing about us, right? I mean, as a species, that we have instantaneous adaptation. We don't have to wait for 12 generations to develop aggression. We can go either way when we're born. And, you know, my theory is if there's lots of resources, then you develop uh, cooperation. And if there are a few resources, then you develop aggression. And that is usually driven by the violence that you experience. Because where there's violence, usually there's fewer resources, just sort of historically in the species. So I have a sort of vague theory about that. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, when, you, when you're in a situation where, uh, say, a five- or a six-year-old is hitting another kid and is getting up and running away from the timeouts. I mean, you already have a kid that's so far off the rails, it's going to take significant intervention to pull that kid back on track. So uh, those are situations where um, the, the parenting has just been so bad that it's really hard to turn that around. You can get some short-term conformity, but the longer-term pathologies are really hard to deal with. So, so you think that um, um, even though we're equally capable of both... Um, um, negotiation or aggression that the only way the aggression would um, uh, uh, would occur would be through um, uh, circumstances um, whereby it was say uh, used regularly in the home or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we're abused for most people when they're abused they lose the capacity for empathy, right? They become a hostile, defensive, aggressive, and uh, can't cooperate with people. Because the moment they let down their guard, which is what cooperation is, cooperation is vulnerability, right? The moment they let down, the, they can't go up to a group of kids and say, can I play? Because that's being vulnerable, right? And every time they're vulnerable at home, they get attacked. 
So what they do is they just run up and grab the ball and run away because they can't come up and say, can I, can I play? Because then they're open to rejection and, of course, they've been so much rejected at home and so much attacked at home. They don't have that capacity, right? Or you never bother asking. I'm sorry? Or, or you never bother asking. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Or you become the, you know, as we all know, the sort of hyper-introverted black hole kid, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm under, the, <laughs> I'm under the covers with my secret friends, the, the hand puppets, and we can play. But, um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, now, I may be projecting, I was a pretty gentle kid, a very gentle kid, so I may be projecting more of my own personality, and maybe I'll get some, I don't know, lumberjack linebacker kid uh, if I have kids, but uh, my general belief is that you know, if you're if you're affectionate and positive and listen and interact, because there's such an enormous lack of interaction with kids in society. I mean, the kids are like Lord of the Flies is not something that takes place on an island in the middle of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. We had some people over. Every damn playground is like that. Yeah, it's total. I mean, it's 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 just jungle. It's a complete jungle. And parents. My neighborhood. My I live in a predominantly well. I have, <laughs> A predominantly black neighborhood, and I had seen a, a comedian last night. I think it was talking about how he hates his kids, and he would, he would, you know, you, you know, you, you white people don't beat your kids enough, and and it would, and the whole audience was laughing at this, and I, I couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't laugh at that, and and I mean the rest of his routine was great. It was really funny, but that section of it was just really irritating because, you know, here we have Ron Paul talking about 85% of, of black people being into crime, and these these people are saying, well, you white people don't beat your kids enough. Right, how's that working out for you as a community, right? Right. I mean, where do you think that the problem's coming from? Right, right, no. No, I mean, it is, uh, if you watch parents with their kids what what parents do with their kids is they manage them and they will tell them go do this go do that go play here go there we're getting this get your shoes do this they manage them right the same way that a shepherd manages sheep they don't actually in general and i'm totally generalizing here but this is sort of just my experience of what i've observed they don't just sit down and interact with them or they'll play a game with them or they'll you know they'll but they don't actually just talk and listen. There's not a whole lot of just sort of talking and listen. Uh, I, I, I see this, this continually. Uh, children grow up incredibly isolated uh, in the world uh, and managed and, and entertained, but, but not spoken to and listened to. That's 100% true from my experience. My brother's kids are all like that. And they can't have a conversation with you, right? I mean, it's like uh, uh, my niece is like this. You can't, you can't actually have a conversation with them because they have very little attention span. Uh, they're either hyper or distracted, or and it's not ADHD or anything. I mean, to me, it's just, but they don't relate to anyone, right? I mean, I, I can sit there, and I did, I was just saying, we had some friends over two Christmases ago, and they brought their, I guess, 18-month-old kid or whatever. I sat there with an hour passing toothpicks back and forth to her, right? So she'd pass me a toothpick, I'd say thank you, and then I'd pass the toothpick back to her. I, I had a great time, right? But I mean... <laughs> It's you know the parents are like, are you bored? Are you like because well, we can do something else with her? It's like no, this is this is to me this is what you do to interact with kids. I mean you you talk and you you listen whether that's verbal or not. I thought you were supposed to plop them in front of the TV and and 
shut the door. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many toothpicks you can get up an 18-month-old's nose. It's really quite remarkable. They're still looking, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you figure out what they want to do, and then you do that. Yeah, that's right? another important thing, too. I mean, to, to give kids a voice about what it is they prefer. I mean, how are we supposed to tell them, uh, you know, decide what you want to do in life, and you know, but they've never been able to decide what they want for dinner. I mean, anyway. We could go on all night about that kind of stuff. And, you know, again, I'm perfectly aware that I'm going to get six million emails uh, from parents saying, oh, yeah, you wait till you have kids. And I'm perfectly happy to, right? I mean, I have had some experience with them and been one myself, but uh, certainly happy to, to be corrected by reality if my theories prove to be complete uh, kumbaya nonsense. So, so <laughs> wait, there's this, uh, this is hitting on something <laughs> that sounds like a problem I'm having is, is figuring out what I want to do with my life to, you know, if I want to do something new or, or what, you know, and I have friends that, that, that just don't know what they want to do, like my friend Mark and uh, Rachel, and they, they're doing things that, that, that are not bad, you know, I mean, Mark, Mark has a degree from Rice and he's a tech writer, but, you know, um, I don't, I don't think he's all too happy with it, but do you think that, that not, knowing or not being able to figure out what you want to do with your life is is that stem from that same problem of not being allowed to to determine what you want to do when you're really young with your parents to interact well it's not just really young right i mean i would say that uh if it doesn't happen when you're really young it's not going to happen when you get older right so yeah i mean i i think that's the case i would say that um the best thing to do is to ask them and say you know what was decision making like for you when you were a kid right i mean if they're like what? <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, they told me what to do and I did it. It's like, well, we may be onto something here, right? I mean, because then the issue is that uh, there's a lot of pain uh, about having their preferences suppressed when they're kids. And they've got to work through that. And on the other side of that is what they want to do with their life, right? If they've retained enough of their true self and haven't inflicted the same abuse on others and all the other list of things that you need to do to, to get your true self, to get access to your true self, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll find what they want to do on the other side of that. Um, my guess is that the people who have the toughest time to do it, I, I, I was able to hang on to quite a bit more, I think, than most of what I wanted to do with my life just because I didn't really interact with anyone, right? So it was a little bit easier. But for the kids who are more social, more into sports, and more this, more that, I think it was harder for them because they, they led much more structured lives so, uh, and much more busy lives. So I think that's uh, a little bit different. That's a that's a very uh, that's a very common practice now too. Is to cram kids into just about every possible activity you can, so, so you don't have uh, even five minutes to interact with them, let alone an hour to pass toothpicks back and forth. You know, it's uh, you know ballet or archery or uh, football or basketball or soccer or baseball or. Uh, um, Boy Scouts, or uh, um, you know, there's a lot, there's my brother's kids are like in a thousand things. Every three months, he puts out a schedule and sends it to everybody. You know, so if you want to go to their things, you can go and uh, you could literally spend twenty five hours a week at events for his kids. Right. Right. These are kids who are going to grow up to take their cues from those around them, right? I mean, peace and quiet and, and time for self-reflection is pretty important. But, of course, I'm guessing that your brother's family is not so big on that for some fairly obvious reasons. 
Oh my God, their 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 house is a zoo. Right. And it's a constant. It's in a constant state of cacophony. I mean, it, it's. I sound like I'm hyperbolizing here, but I'm. I am not kidding. I mean, they're the the running around and the screaming and the yelling and the oh, we've got to be here and we've got to be there and the phone is. He's got he's got four phone numbers, and at least two of them are busy all the time. Wow. Yeah. No. I. I mean, my brother's house a little bit like that too. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting stuff done, but. Uh... Man, it seems like a pretty hellacious way to live. I mean, don't you get busy enough when you're an adult? I mean, it just seemed like I just really right. valued not having to do stuff when I was a kid. I mean, I sort of tried to stay out of everyone's way and get involved with as little as possible. And when I was a teenager, I got more involved in sports and so on. But yeah, though, there was a long time there. You couldn't get my head out of a book or out of a, you know, a drawing or something like that. And I think that had a lot to do with. Because I don't know how many people in my life have said to me, it's like, oh, you've always known what you wanted to do and you've always been you know, clear about your life's purpose and mission and goal and so on. And they really envy that. And um, I, I mean, I think that it had a lot to do with just not having a lot to do. Yeah, I agree. Well, at least having the opportunity to slow down for 10 minutes and, and uh, listen to the voice in your head for a change rather than everybody else's. Right, right. And the other thing, too, is that the reason that a lot of parents do this is because the kids wanted them to, right? I mean, it's it's one of these things that feeds on itself. Like, uh, uh, all the other kids are really busy. So if your kids aren't busy, they have no one to do anything with, right? So the only way they're going to get to interact with other kids if they are as busy. It's sort of like this arms race of, of like, packed schedules. Uh, that's sure. tough, but, you know, it's like, so, I mean, this is the lesson you teach your kids, right? I mean, just, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's a good thing. Right. Exactly. Well, that was about all I had. Okay, good. good. Well, this is good because yeah, everyone else has, like, refused to talk to me. So this is really nice. This is actually... <laughs> I got, yeah, well, I got I, the guy in New Zealand flipping me the bird. I got... David hasn't responded to my invitation. Uh, I'm waiting for a determinist to come on. So, yeah, no, I, this has been nice. Well, uh, you should set up a calendar, actually, I think. Let people uh, people who are interested in debating you uh, um, pencil time. That is it. an excellent idea. I think that's a lot better than chasing stuff around the board. I will set that up. I have one, actually. I bought a calendar for the web, so... I'll be able to use that. That's an excellent idea. And that way people can see the upcoming debates as well. And if they want to log into something more live and call in, that would be great too. There you go. All right. Well, thanks, guys. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. People can bring their professors, and uh, that would be excellent. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for no staying problem. up for the call. No, no problem. problem. Good night. Okay, good night. Good night.